Hey, this is Vanessa Marshall. I play Harrison Dula on Star Wars Rebels, and you're listening to the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. May the Force be with you always. I was a little girl when the Clone War came to Ryloth. My mother hid us below ground, but I'd peek out when the Republic ships flew over as they fought to liberate my world. I dreamt of nothing more than to be up there with them. So you left your family to fight? I left my family so I could fly. As a combat pilot? If we want freedom, we must make difficult choices. I chose to leave my family. I chose to learn to fly. And then I chose to use that ability to help others in need. It's all rooted in something I can't explain. A need to be up there. Because even when there are explosions all around me and things are at their worst, I feel like I'm at my best. Welcome to episode 29 of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given. Do you think you're up to the task? fans and welcome to another episode of the jedi temple archives podcast this is uh, episode 29 so we're chugging right along and i once again appreciate everyone out there for listening in uh, i cannot tell you how much i appreciate our listeners uh, so thank you for tuning in and thank you for being a part of the show and uh, just for the record we are recording this episode on monday october 7th 2019 uh, the topic that we're going to dive into this week is one that we we basically had hinted at in our very first episode, given that we are the Jedi Temple Archives podcast, and that really is the center of everything that we do, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit more in depth about Joe Castanu, who was the head librarian of the Jedi Temple Archives at the time of the fall of the Jedi Order. And to help me out with that this week, I have Tom once again back here with me to kind of walk through this and, and uh, discuss a little bit about the background of Joe Castanu. So Tom, thanks again for joining us and uh, i'm sure you're happy to be here <laughs> it's good to be with you rob you know i love being a part of the jedi temple archives podcast mm-hmm. well i appreciate you appreciate you making time in your busy day to come on and uh, talk a little joe cast anew with me all right before we jump into this week's main topic i do just want to take a quick moment to thank our new sponsor lucas family travel are you interested in taking a trip to the planet of batu in the ultra immersive world of star wars galaxy's edge at either the walt disney world resort or the disneyland resort If so, the one thing that I can tell you from personal experience is that planning any Disney vacation can be completely overwhelming. That's why you need the expert planning services of Casey Lucas and Lucas Family Travel. Casey can help you to select the perfect resort, book your fast passes, your dining reservations, including those hard to get Oga's Cantina reservations, and even recommend the perfect time to visit based on the historical crowd levels. 
And the best part is that all of these services are completely free to you and included as part of your Disney vacation package. So visit lucasfamilytravel.com today to book your vacation package and enter the promo code JTA podcast in the comments to receive a free gift with your booking. Again, that's L-U-C-A-S familytravel.com to book your trip today. And as they say on Batu, may the spires keep you. Definitely take advantage of that. And with uh, without further ado, we will go ahead and uh, get into our discussion on Jocasta New. Nice. Let's get to it. Yes. So as we have mentioned in that first episode uh, and earlier in this episode, Jocasta New was the uh, chief librarian of the Jedi Temple Archives during the period of the Clone Wars. Uh, she was a female from the planet of Coruscant, which was basically the seat of the Galactic uh, Senate and... Uh, or I should say the Republic Senate, uh, and eventually the the Galactic Senate when uh, Emperor Palpatine took over. But she was a Jedi Master for quite some time leading up to the events uh, kind of that culminated at the end of the Clone Wars. And interestingly enough, one of the things that uh, stood out with uh, Joe Castanew was that she had been on the uh, Jedi Council. The Jedi High Council is one of the 12 Jedi Masters that were a part of that and had then uh, stepped down to take on her role as the chief librarian. So uh, definitely it was something that showed that, you know, Jedi masters would kind of get elevated to that position and then potentially step away from it as was needed. Yeah. And obviously she loved the Jedi temple archives. Uh, you know, she was the perfect person for that role. She, she took it uh, full fledged and, you know, would not back down from anybody who questioned even <laughs> if anything was incorrect or if there wasn't uh, something uh, information-wise within the Jedi Temple archives. She was perfect for that spot. Yeah, certainly. And uh, she would be classified as a consular, a Jedi consular. So those were the Jedi that would tend to focus on kind of non-military uh, roles within the order. Uh, they would work in the medical corps. They would work in the archives, as Joe Castanew did, um, or on the diplomatic corps. So they were really focused more on either science or diplomacy. And uh, you typically, in, in legends, it used to be that the color of a Jedi's lightsaber would denote kind of which... Uh, specific subsect of the order they were part of. I don't know that that's really been reintroduced into canon um, currently, but uh, you definitely do tend to see a lot of Jedi still with green lightsabers that tend to err more on the side of diplomacy as opposed to warfare. So uh, it'll be interesting to see if they do revive that at some point within canon. Yeah, or maybe it gets brought about either in the looking back at the past or whether they, uh, you know, if something comes about where they decide whatever the rise of Skywalker is, if there's some sort of reemergence, if they visit some of the old uh, details involving the Jedi. Right. The other thing that was notable about Joe Castanew, just kind of in terms of her general description, is that not only was she very attached to the Jedi Temple archives, but she was actively out in the galaxy kind of collecting items for the archives, which uh, contained uh, a special room of different artifacts that had been collected. And one of those was an artifact called the Mask of Lord Moman, who uh, you don't really see in the films, but this is something that is 
dealt with directly within the uh, the Darth Vader comics, uh, kind of a, a set of 25 comics that, that describe an arc with the whole sub-story of Darth Vader, uh, kind of from the time that he became a Sith Lord, um, you know, up until when you get to know him within, within the films. And uh, that Mask of Momen was a Sith artifact that uh, was tied, as it indicates, to an, an old Sith named Lord Momen, uh, who was very tightly tied to the creation of Darth Vader's castle on Mustafar that we see within Rogue One. Yeah, really interesting stuff in that regard. Um, Vader's trying to use this in many ways to try and help what his ultimate goal is. I'm not going to you know, give it away here in case you want to go and start reading those comics. I'm in the middle of them right now, and they're really fascinating. So, uh, But there is some interesting stuff into Vader's past, into his future. Uh, just It really is a fascinating series for sure. Right, and they definitely do get a lot into sort of some of the things that really led to his rage and anger that made him such a notable Sith Lord. So as Tom said, we don't want to, we don't want to ruin that here. Um, we do just want to note that there is a, a direct link between Jocasta new and an artifact that's going to appear in those comics. So certainly I would recommend that you go out and check those out. If you're at all interested um, there, even if you're not a fan of comics, some of the stories that they're telling uh, are totally worthwhile. Um, they're generally a pretty quick read. Um, and occasionally you can find them if you have Amazon Prime, you can go out there and find them in the Kindle Unlimited section, um, mm -hmm. which I know is how I had read most of them. I, I did have to pay for a couple of the com compilations that were, I want to say, 3 or $4, uh, maybe 5 But uh, most of those I was able to read uh, for free using Kindle Unlimited. So another great way to take advantage of that benefit, and uh, I would definitely recommend them to anyone who's interested in learning a little bit more of the backstory uh, of Vader himself. And, and a little bit of the tangential information you get about the Jedi Temple archives. Agreed. And we're finding so many more of these things being weaved in and out of storylines within the films themselves, within uh, possibly some of the TV shows that we have uh, coming up or, or just referenced, uh, you know, throughout, whether it's uh, directly uh, affecting any of the storylines, you just kind of referenced here and there. And, uh, you know, it gives you some backstory on different things that maybe you don't know. Uh, just it's fascinating the way they've, they've taken these comics and, and really made them uh, a really important important part of storytelling within the Star Wars universe. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's getting more and more to the point where really uh, when you can read some of these additional uh, books or comics, etc., cetera, uh, seeing the animated series, as we've mentioned in previous episodes, they really do add so much more depth to the films. Uh, and in some cases are almost necessary reading to really fully get uh, the stories that they're trying to tell within those films. So it'll be interesting to see if they, if they keep going that way. I know we've got the rise of Skywalker coming out in December. Um, it'll be very interesting to see with all of the comics and books and uh, other associated material that they're putting out surrounding that, how much of that is going to play a major role in, in your appreciation for and understanding of the film. But uh, that's kind of what we're here for. So we will be ready to support folks who don't have time to do all that extra reading uh, to make sure that you get the most out of uh, your viewing of Rise of Skywalker. That is exactly the purpose of the Jedi Temple Archives podcast. Exactly. So diving back into what Tom had mentioned earlier, really the first time that we see uh, Madame Jocasta New, as she was often referred to, uh, within the Jedi Temple Archives is when Obi-Wan Kenobi uh, goes to the Jedi Temple Archives in search of the planet Kamino within the uh, events of Attack of the Clones. Did you call for assistance? 
Yes, yes, I did. Are you having a problem, Master Kenobi? Yes, um, I'm looking for a planetary system called Camino. It doesn't show up on the archive charts. Camino. It's not the system I'm familiar with. Are you sure you have the right coordinates? According to my information, it should appear in this quadrant here, just south of the Rishi Maze. I hate to say it, but it looks like the system you're searching for doesn't exist. Impossible. Perhaps the archives are incomplete. If an item does not appear in our records, it does not exist. So again, he's sitting there within the archives looking for the planet of Camino, unable to find it on the charts. And as Tom mentioned, uh, Joe Casta had a, a pretty telling statement to make about that uh, regarding the fact that if it didn't exist within the archives, then, then it must not be there. Um, and it kind of goes back to a conversation, Tom, that we've had previously about uh, the Jedi, for all of their declarations of, of no attachment and uh, kind of non-belief in, in the concept of having pride, I guess you could call it, um, she was clearly very proud of her archive and uh, blind in many ways to the fact that they could be getting manipulated by the Sith. Yeah, and that's a, we, we saw this for the entire, and we've talked about this many times, we've talk, we saw this for the entire Jedi Order and how much uh, they were kind of in the dark about what was actually happening with the dark side emerging for them, you know, uh, and definitely so. And yes, she was very, very proud of her archives and she was going to tell you every day that everything there is perfectly how it should be. And uh, it shows up many times uh, from here on out as well that how much she loved these Jedi Temple archives, whether you're supposed to be attached to anything or not, she was completely wrapped around this part of the Jedi Temple. It was kind of telling that when Obi-Wan had mentioned that, you know, perhaps the records were incomplete, not only did she dismiss that offhand, uh, but she clearly looked irritated, which is not really an expression you're used to seeing from a Jedi. And, uh, you know, when you talk about the fact that they're supposed to be calm and at peace and passive, uh, she was definitely not the, the embodiment of any of those uh, at that particular moment. I remember uh, the first time watching it, I had to, you know, think about it, like, because I didn't really know anything about her at that point. It's the first time I ever seen her in anything. And I'm like, okay, is she actually a Jedi? Because she's not acting like a Jedi at that moment, you know? She's just kind of someone who's been put in place to kind of watch over this, basically a librarian, but she's not actually a Jedi. And that was, you know, later in, in readings and learning more about her, that yes, she is. But she, just like you said, Rob, she was not acting what, as you would expect a Jedi to act in that circumstance. Yep. And, uh, you know, as we mentioned earlier, uh, a lot of what we see of Joe Castanew within Star Wars canon currently uh, took place in the Clone Wars comics. Uh, and, I'm sorry, not the Clone Wars comics, the Clone Wars animated series. Uh, and then again, there was another subset of those Darth Vader comics that we will get into a little bit later uh, that dealt specifically with Joe Castanew. But really the first time that we get to see her in depth within the Clone Wars series was during a period where uh, 
Uh, Ahsoka Tano had failed to follow orders during a mission uh, and had been punished, I guess, in a way by the by the Jedi Council uh, by having her assigned as the new security officer for the Jedi Temple Archives. So uh, Ahsoka was brought down there by Anakin uh, and handed off to Jocasta New, who was kind of giving her a walkthrough of the, te- the Temple Archives, showing her the holocron vault, and that whole series played out like this. I'm sorry I let you down. I know. I was a Padawan not that long ago. Madam Jocasta New, this is Ahsoka Tano. She is to be your new security officer. Hello, madam. So good to meet you. Let's show you around. There is more knowledge here than anywhere else in the galaxy. Master Kenobi says there are even texts here that are forbidden to be read. (laughs) Well, the archives hold a great many secrets. Tis true. Beyond this door lies the Holocron Vault. The Holocrons contain the most closely guarded secrets of the Jedi Order. Good morning, Master Fisto. Can we go inside? Oh, I'm afraid not, my dear. I haven't been inside myself for years. Only members of the Jedi Council are allowed access. Guarding the Holocrons is one of the most important duties a Jedi can be given, Ahsoka. Do you think you're up to the task? Definitely. So as you can see, you know, uh, Jocasta New, again, uh, her pride in the Temple Archives is pretty evident within that clip. She is trying to kind of give an overview to Ahsoka Tano of exactly what the archives are and how they're laid out. And one of the things that she points out uh, within that tour is the entrance to the Holocron Vault, uh, which, again, is another item that we've mentioned on this show. Uh, and it played into that episode uh, that we had a few weeks ago regarding Cad Bane and his Holocron heist. Yeah, just, uh, you know, a fascinating portion. I I love the fact that, uh, by the way, Ahsoka Tano kind of got assigned a ten- detention for having to, uh, for disobeying orders, essentially. And, you know, that, I think all of us can relate to at some point in our lives being sent to the library or to some classroom after school and having to watch over it or clap erasers or whatever. And that always reminds <laughs> me of this is what happened to Ahsoka because she was not acting in the Jedi way. But, uh, you know, just a uh, really important part of this happening behind the scenes in the Clone Wars when, you know, there is this, you know, obviously civil war going on. Uh, but really there is this Sith Lord pulling the strings, trying to get the information out of the archives. And, uh, you know, a lot of this is taking place within this uh, this portion of uh, the Clone Wars and where we discover more about Jocasta New. Yeah. Ahsoka was still employed there as the head of security within the Jedi Temple archives during the period of time that Cad Bane and the bounty hunter Cato Parasiti came in and uh, were actively employed by Darth Sidious in the process of that holocron heist that we talked about a few episodes ago. But one of the things that we really didn't talk about a lot in that episode was the fact that Cato Parasiti's sole role in this holocron heist was to take on the look and the the mannerisms of Jocasta knew she'd kind of been subdued and, and hidden away. Uh, Cato Parasiti replaced her as a shapeshifter. He was able to mimic her exactly. Uh, you're unable to really tell any difference between them. Uh, and 
was responsible for feeding Cad Bane information about the schematics of the temple and assist him in his mission. So, uh, of course, Ahsoka happened upon Cato Parasiti and was able to tell kind of from their interactions that it was not Joe Castanew. And that whole uh, scene plays out like this. This is it. Perfect. Let's go in. No. Cato, come in. We are over the vault. Give me a moment to check out the security system. What's wrong with your voice? Change of plans. I'm the librarian now. Hurry it up, Kato. We can't stay hidden for long. Well, looks like this is where they broke in. Fortunately, we'll have a less troublesome time. Vault is filled with laser sensors that go in every direction. I'll try to deactivate the whole system from here. Just hurry. I can hear them. They're looking for us in the vent system. Great. Which way do you think they went? The communication center is this way. We'd better hurry if we're going to catch them. Jedi are coming closer. I've got it. Go in. I don't think they came this way. Master Yoda. Are you picking up any other life signs in this quadrant? Deep in the temple. The intruders are. How are they managing to stay out of our way? Possibilities. Receiving assistance they are. From inside. Wonderful. Almost there. Are you done deactivating those laser beams yet? We are good to go. Good. Stop cutting through that wall. This job just keeps getting weirder and weirder. Padawan, alert you must be. Sense deception, I do. Posing as a Jedi, the intruder is. Find Master Jocasta. You must. Bane, the two Jedi have turned around and are making their way towards you. Who are you and what have you done with Madame Jocasta? The same thing I'm going to do to you. <laughs> Madame Jocasta's shape, but not her skills. So, as you can see, you know, while Cad Bane was able to make off with that holocron, uh, it was certainly a, a critical role that Ahsoka played in trying to disrupt that holocron heist. And it certainly kind of left up in the air whether there would have been fatalities associated with that mission uh, had she not intervened. 
Yeah, very true. I mean, the fact that, she, well, you know, it's just interesting to see how uh, smart Ahsoka was and the fact that she was able to uh, put two and two together that, yes, uh, you know, this 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 being looked very much like a Jocasta knew, but, you know, when, when uh was all said and done, you, she was able to read it, figure it all out and, uh, you know, kind of try and sniff it out, almost uh, was able to stop it. But of course, Cat Bane, uh, you know, did get away. Yeah, and uh, certainly was, uh, as we mentioned a few episodes ago, if you haven't gone and listened to that Cad Bane episode, I would definitely recommend you do so. He's another one of these characters that you don't hear anything about within the films, but uh, is certainly a rich and interesting character within the animated series. And uh, one of the kind of linchpins uh, that you keep seeing come back around over and over and over within the storyline of the Clone Wars specifically. Yeah, I mean, it was the the right at that time he was the biggest, baddest, uh, you know, bounty hunter in the galaxy, and uh, in, in kind of that uh, era between Jango Fett and the more emergence of Boba Fett. So, and with you know, rightfully so, he was he was smart, he was devious, he was strong, he was a, a great fighter. Uh, he was uh, someone you had to watch out for, and someone that a lot of people wanted to hire when they really needed something sort of uh, underhanded done. Yeah. Uh, so moving on from that particular incident, we come across another scenario and, and the next couple are going to be kind of minor interactions with Joe Castanew. The first was uh, an episode where Ahsoka had lost her lightsaber. And we all know from watching the prequel mo movies, especially uh, that a Jedi's lightsaber is their life. Uh, I know that's one of Tom's favorite uh, quotes from Obi-Wan mm -hmm. Kenobi, right? Absolutely. Even though he lost his all the time as well. I know, I guess. Uh, well, we've already established the fact that the Jedi could be a little bit hypocritical. I suppose it's no different than really any parent. Do as I say, not as I do, right? Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure if you explain your loss to your master, he'll understand. No. He tells me over and over, your lightsaber is your life. Don't lose it. Uh, there has to be a better way to find this thief. I'm sorry. Pickpockets aren't my field of expertise. At this rate, it'll take me years to find him. I might have another idea. There. That is Terra Sanube. He's an elder Jedi. He happens to be an expert on the Coruscant crime world. I think he's sleeping. Yes. Well, he will be able to help you. Uh, pardon me, Master Sanube? What? Who? I was just resting my eyes. Hello, Master Sanube. Good morning, Jocasta. Uh, I don't know you, do I? My name is Ahsoka Tano. I was told you could help me. Help you? Mm -hmm. I'll leave you two to your business. Uh, really, that particular interplay between Tara Sanube and Ahsoka Tano was really an episode where he was kind of teaching her some important lessons. She was very impatient um, in wanting to retrieve her lightsaber, and Tara Sanube was definitely an elderly Jedi master who kind of seemed to not be doing a whole lot, but in effect, he was very effective in his approach to things, which was to kind of, uh, you know, think his way through situations instead of just rushing in headfirst as Ahsoka was wont to do. Yeah, you know, it was a good reason why, you know, uh, you would see a lot of younglings, Padawans, being kind of 
uh, shipped off to various different Jedi masters throughout it. It's kind of, you know, because every one of them had just a little bit of a different viewpoint of the Force and and a little bit of different prowess in, in teaching their Padawan. So, yes, of course, you would have the your real master as a Padawan, but you would often see Ahsoka Tano and some of the other Padawans team up with one of the other Jedi masters. And I think this is a very effective way of, you know, of learning different uh, ways about the Force. And because and, and everybody, while, you know, kind of had the same ideal, they approached it in different ways. Yeah, and I would actually say here that you look at the interplay between Ahsoka and Anakin within the Clone Wars and there was a lot of similarities between them in terms of their recklessness and impatience. And uh, certainly it was another scenario where you had Anakin trying to advise her on the proper way to go about things as a Jedi when that's not really what he would do. And she was always quick to point that out. Uh, but it was some of these interactions that Ahsoka had during her period of time as the head of security at the Jedi Temple Archive that really kind of developed some of this other side of her character that we never really see develop in Anakin. Um, and is kind of one of the things that separates them, I think, by the end of that period uh, of the Clone Wars uh, in terms of how they react to different situations. Well, it's part of the benefit. I mean, I know that uh, Anakin got in there and he wasn't, uh, you know, super old by the time he had uh, joined, the, you know, the Jedi and was being trained as a Padawan to Obi-Wan Kenobi, but he was older than probably they would have preferred. Whereas uh, Ahsoka brought, was brought in very young, so she had more time to develop within the Jedi Order itself. But, you know, I, I, what I, I, part of the reasons why I find the Clone Wars interesting is because you delve into some of these things that you didn't really know as far as the Jedi uh, Temple the Jedi Order and how they went about doing these things. And you basically, uh, you, you, you know, the the eyes of Ahsoka Tano are kind of the eyes of the uh, the viewer of the show because you're, you're learning. Um, maybe some of these episodes aren't the most exciting as far as, the, you know, there's these big battles, there's these big duels, whatever the case may be, but you're learning, you're getting more insight into how the Jedi Order worked at one point before if it's downfall, of course. Yeah, for sure. The next area where we see Joe cast the new uh, crop up within the Clone Wars is during a period of time, and this ties in really nicely with the attack of the clones once again, uh, where it was discussed about Jedi Master sifo having commissioned the clones. Well, this particular storyline uh, was one where Jedi Master Plo Koon, who was a member of the Jedi Council, had discovered the wreckage of a vehicle on a planet, or on a, sorry, a desert moon uh, called Obadiah, and that wreckage ended up being identified as the ship that the former Jedi Council member Sifo Dyas had been flying uh, when he went missing, and it actually still contained his lightsaber. Uh, so the Jedi High Council, in the process of trying to determine what had gone on, uh, called in Joe Castanew to brief them on the events surrounding uh, the disappearance of Jedi Master Sifo Dyas, and she went on to describe the following. Our records definitively state that Master Sifo-Dyas died on Felucia. In the fifth quarter, a small skirmish broke out between the native Felucians. Master Sifo-Dyas was assigned to negotiate peace talks between the tribes. The negotiations failed, and Sifo-Dyas was killed. What became of his body? I'm afraid I cannot answer that. Any further information on this incident has been sealed. On whose authority? By the office of the Supreme Chancellor. Thank you, Madame Tacosta. 
So there was clearly a lot of mystery surrounding the disappearance of Jedi Master Sifo-Dyas. Uh, we do kind of come to find out later on that certainly the Sith were involved in his disappearance, uh, especially Darth Tyrannus or Count Dooku, as you may better know him. But he was uh, another one of these Jedi who became kind of a cog in the master plan of Darth Sidious and his process of, of going about destroying the Jedi Order. Yeah, you know, funny that the uh, the, the person who ended up uh, asking for the uh, records of this situation to be sealed was the office of the Supreme Chancellor, you know, and uh, spoiler alert, we know who the Supreme Chancellor was. Who? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, not shocking that uh, you can kind of see the the workings all around it, but, you know, without them really having the knowledge and, you know, we've, we just we just talked a little bit ago how much the dark, in the dark, the, uh, the, the Jedi Council were how the Jedi Order itself were as far as the, the dark side, as far as the Sith Lords being out there and basically uh, being puppeteers for what was happening all around them. Uh, you know, that was, you know, could have been something that could have tipped them off fairly early on. Certainly. And I would also recommend anyone who's interested in, in the kind of backstory of Count Dooku and his interaction with sifo because they were actually good friends, uh, especially as younglings and Padawans. Definitely go check out the Dooku Jedi Lost audiobook that was put out by Scott Cavan, I believe. And uh, it, it was very interesting, provided a lot of backstory for both of those characters and uh, explains a lot about Count, Count Dooku and kind of how he came into the circle of, of Darth Sidious and, and became a Sith Lord as well. So um, definitely would recommend that. Kind of moving on from that particular scenario, really the last time that we see uh, Jocasta New within the Clone Wars is during a period of time where she is explaining to some Jedi initiates who passed their initiate trials uh, kind of how Jedi Knights went about choosing their Padawans. Uh, and there was uh, an interesting exchange uh, with one of those initiates uh, named Caleb Doom, uh, basically questioning why the Jedi had settled on that particular method that she described to choose their Padawans and if anyone had ever questioned it. Uh, and of course, Joe Castanew kind of had her own snippy response to that, uh, mentioning that he was basically questioning it now, right? So... Um, mm -hmm. He was just looking for information on on why they went about things that way. And we're going to get into the comics here in a little bit. It's kind of interesting that as Jocasta knew was pointing out, they were separating in their minds uh, kind of who was worthy of, of that education and who wasn't. Uh, and that was the reason that uh, the Grand Inquisitor, who we also have spoken about in previous episodes, uh, when he was a Jedi Temple Guard, why he had not been given the access to the archives that he had hoped for uh, and kind of put that seed of uh, resentment in him that led to him falling to the dark side as well. Yeah, it's just one of those things. It seems like it, would, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense as to why they would just, you know, it's because I said so, you know. It's again, we, we you talked about a little bit earlier, Rob, which the, you know, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. And I, I think there was a lot of that going around the Jedi Order. You know, you know, we do it because we've always done it this way or, you know, it, you know, and it, yes, you know, knowledge was encouraged. But, you know, if it was anything that kind of uh, fought against the Jedi way, well, we can't encourage that at all. And so it, it was just kind of interesting to see how this progressed. And you could see how the Jedi Order was failing it, it, its actual 
you know, people within it and why you would see some of them stray from time to time. Right. I mean, it certainly had become uh, an order that was really not inclusive in a lot of ways. Um, again, I can understand it being determined by the the various Jedi Masters who they thought had the most potential and who should be given the priority in terms of uh, becoming their Padawan. Uh, but it also seemed like as a byproduct, they were only fo- focused on who they thought had the most potential and what area you know they thought was the most important. Uh, and you would have people potentially go undeveloped or, or unselected um, for Padawan status that may have had a lot of things to offer the Jedi Order that just were maybe different than, than what the uh, Jedi selecting them were interested in. So um, it seemed to be a difficult scenario for, for some of these um, younglings or initiates uh, in terms of maybe getting a fair shake, as we've mentioned. Yeah, it was a very elitist attitude in, in many ways. And you could see where, you know, someone that's like, you know, why it's I'm I'm much more skilled in many regards to, to you know, uh, youngling X that's next to me. But, you know, still, I'm not getting uh, allowed to the same information, you know, just because the, you see them as being a better to are more able to do uh, something that you appreciate better than what I can do. But I, I bring value to this. And uh, again, you, you can see where that would stir things up within somebody that it may be kind of leaning the wrong way anyway. Absolutely. Uh, So kind of moving on from, from that particular scenario, we're now moving into the story arc that was described within those Darth Vader comics, as I mentioned earlier. And um, this was really an interesting arc within the comics because it really starts with uh, Emperor Palpatine uh, standing there with Darth Vader and kind of looking at a list of the surviving Jedi um, or Jedi who may have survived the purge, uh, trying to determine you know what the priority was in terms of tracking them down and destroying them. And uh, this will all kind of interplayed with Darth Vader and his control of the Inquisitorius because uh, you know they were being used to hunt down a lot of these Jedi. And interestingly enough, Joe Casta knew ended up right at the top of that list, which was kind of perplexing for Darth Vader. I mean, he knew uh, from his time in the temple as Anakin Skywalker that she was just the head librarian, uh, not really a threat to Palpatine in any way that he could see. But the reason that Palpatine was interested in her was because one of the things that existed within the Jedi Temple archives was that list of all the Force-sensitive children in the galaxy. And um, that was something that he'd made a play for before uh, with uh, the episode that we discussed with the Holocron heist. And, um, you know, now that the Jedi had been destroyed, you know, not letting them rise again was certainly at the forefront of his mind. So, um, you know, Tom, is that one of the arcs that you have gotten to in the comics yet? Uh, and if so, what did you think about it? I haven't gotten to it yet, but I did look up knowing that we would be doing this podcast today. I wanted to make sure that I was uh, as up to speed as possible on this. So I did look up uh, some interest, you know, some uh, information in regards to this. But uh, I, I find it fascinating. And one, I didn't know that Jocasta knew uh, survived Order 66. So I found that uh, interesting enough. Um, but then, yeah, you know, of course, we knew that uh, that Sidious was looking for this list constantly of force sensitive children. One, I think, you know, to try and find some that he could kind of twist to do his bidding as we saw the Inquisitorious. Uh, but also I, I do believe that he's already foreseen as we found out, you know, we, you know, we recently discussed in our Star Wars Remembered series on our podcast uh, that uh, there was somebody out there who could de- defeat him. And maybe he was kind of looking out there and saying maybe he didn't 
pin it necessarily to a Skywalker yet, but he did pin it that there was some Jedi out there that, or, or potential Jedi out there that uh, could lead to his downfall. And I have a, got to believe that they, that was uh, part of the reason why he was looking to wipe them out or at least have them turn to be on his side. Absolutely. Um, so uh, the other interesting thing that kind of comes out within this story arc is that Joe Castanew certainly had had survived Order 66, but she had then uh, kind of gone into hiding and was in the process of filling uh, holocrons with as much uh, of the knowledge that she had uh, so that it could be preserved. And uh, she was leaving a message on each of those holocrons, basically saying, whoever is seeing this, it's up to you now. Don't let our deaths have been in vain. So uh, she knew that, you know, this was her only chance to really carry on the teachings of the Jedi Order, um, that uh, the the archives had been really lost to her. But then as she was thinking about that, she also realized two things. First, that the uh, the list of all the four sensitive children was hidden away within this secret room within the archive, uh, where a bunch of these other Sith relics had been kept, and that she did not feel like she could leave um, without without having retrieved that list. She could not let that fall with, uh, into the hands of the Sith. So uh, interestingly enough, she uh, embarks on a mission to go back into the Jedi Temple archives. Uh, she has an encounter with the Grand Inquisitor, who, as we mentioned earlier, was one of the former Jedi Temple guards. Um, and at this point, you know, he has now been sent to the archive to kind of see if, if he can track down Joe Castanew. And he's kind of enjoying the fact that he has unfettered access to all of this information that he had been cut off from before. Yeah. The, the, the one part that kind of turned him to the dark side, you know, now he gets to get in there and, and re go through all these readings and really didn't take him, you know, just kind of was throwing him to the side, would read, throw to the side, read, throw to the side, you know, not really treating them with a lot of respect. And, uh, Jocasta knew took a little bit of, a uh, offense at that. Yeah, certainly. I mean, she, she knew that she had a mission and she had to get in and get out with this crystal basically that had this list of children on it. And, uh, was was dedicated to not getting involved in any kind of a confrontation. She was not a warrior in any way, shape, or form. Uh, so her plan was really just to get in and get out without letting anyone know that she'd been there. But as Tom mentioned, uh, seeing the Grand Inquisitor kind of so casually mistreating her precious archive, uh, she basically lost her cool uh, and ended up in a confrontation with him and then later Darth Vader, um, which again, I don't want to go into any detail. I want people to be able to read this, uh, and kind of experience a lot of this information firsthand, but I do want to pull one thing out of that confrontation, which was, uh, obviously she knew that she was no match for Darth Vader, uh, in a lightsaber duel, but she did have access to a special weapon that we had never seen in Canon before. And it was called a lightsaber rifle. So, uh, it was essentially a specialized rifle, uh, that had a slot for you to insert your lightsaber and it would, uh, uh, when discharging energy bolts, feed them through the kyber crystal within the lightsaber. And as we know, that is the the component in the lightsaber that is responsible for kind of magnifying and multiplying power um, and creating that lightsaber blade. So it would create these incredibly powerful uh, rifle blasts. But unfortunately, as was we also mentioned in the lightsaber episode, that um, you know feeding energy through a lightsaber crystal that way uh, can tend to degrade it and uh, it could use 
uh, the lightsaber three different times for for rifle blast before it would destroy the lightsaber or burn out the lightsaber. So uh, definitely an interesting weapon that we had never seen before within canon and uh, kind of an interesting concept as well. It seems like it would be something that would be a, you know, last resort type of thing. And that's right. kind of what Jocasta New used it as here. It's like, you know, I know that I may ruin my lightsaber, but I see no recourse and that, you know, this is the only way I could possibly survive this. So uh, I'm going to put this at, at, to use, uh, see if it works for me. And if not, well, you know, I'm, I probably wasn't going to make it anyway. Yep, I completely agree. So, I mean, there is one uh, further mention of Joe Castanu within those Darth Vader comics. Um, and it does have to deal with the story arc with Lord Moman. Um, but it was really kind of a minor interaction and really not worth going into here. So uh, certainly if folks out there are interested in reading that comic book arc, you will see it and uh, kind of judge for yourself how important it really is. But uh, overall, I mean, certainly Joe Castanu was a very important uh, Jedi, despite the fact that she really didn't get a lot of screen time in the films. Um, just based on the contributions, not only to her, her maintaining the Jedi Temple archives uh, as a library, but also uh, certainly tracking down some of these artifacts and her actions, as we've discussed within the comics, which you would have to say were, were incredibly important because were not for her uh, taking action, despite the fact that that's not really what she specialized in, that list of four sensitive children would have most likely, uh, probably almost certainly fallen into the hands of Darth Sidious. And given the fact that he had this Inquisitorious program, uh, you would have to assume that he would have been able to build his own army uh, of dark side wielders and not necessarily Sith because we know that he was kind of jealously guarding uh, the, the Sith knowledge that he had but uh, certainly was not above creating an army of force sensitives uh, that he could use to basically, uh, you know, lock in his reign and, and keep his power for all time, really. Yeah, it was an important step that she made to make sure and keep uh, as many of these names as safe as possible. And she was also storing much more information that uh, was used uh, later on, um, or, or at least was uh, possibly used and, and aided uh, Luke Skywalker later on. So it's, uh, you know, she played a valuable role even in uh, exile as to, you know, trying to keep uh, the Jedi Order, keep the Jedi, keep keep the light side of the force, you know, burning brightly. Right. So that's going to pretty much wrap it up for Joe Castanew. Uh, so I would certainly uh, recommend that anyone who's interested in learning more about her do as Tom and I have said numerous times on this podcast, check out the Clone Wars. She doesn't make an appearance in Rebels. Check that out anyway. Uh, and certainly season two of Star Wars Resistance has just started up. So uh, looking forward to getting some additional information uh, and seeing kind of how that uh, ties into the overall canon that we're discussing. Mm -hmm. Watched the uh, first episode of season two last night. And uh, just as uh, we expected, because they had kind of put all the pieces in place, you'd kind of learned who all the characters were. And they kind of just hit the ground running uh, last night with the first episode. And I'm looking to looking forward to seeing how the rest of uh, season two, then, which is, you know, but not that surprisingly, uh, the final season of Star Wars Resistance. Absolutely. Um, kind of jumping over now to the Holonet and talking a little bit about Star Wars news. As we mentioned, Star Wars Resistance did just start up again. Uh, season two is currently being broadcast. And once that's done, that series is going to be wrapped up. 
But kind of moving on to some of the other uh, kind of Star Wars series news that came out this week, uh, it is interesting to note that uh, Joel Edgerton, who played uh, Uncle Owen within the prequel films, uh, has confirmed that he is going to be coming back as Uncle Owen within the Kenobi series as well. So uh, that is going to be pretty interesting to see if that comes out uh, as planned or not. Yeah, I, I like the fact that uh, they're going to continue on with that uh, same actor playing that same role, even though his uh, portion within the prequels was very small. But it, it is good that uh, you will kind of have that continuity going on. I, I'll be interested to see if there's uh, some other things that come along with it. Maybe, uh, you know, Jimmy Smith's, you know, returns for an episode or two as Bail Organa or whatever the case may be, because, you know, you know, he always talked about your Jedi friend. Uh, so it would lead to me to believe that uh, at some point Obi-Wan was in contact with uh, Bail Organa at, at certain times within this uh, period of exile. Yeah, the other thing to note in regards to characters returning to reprise their roles is that uh, I had seen some indications that Dennis Lawson, who played Wedge Antilles within the original trilogy, uh, had confirmed that he was going to be back uh, within the Rise of Skywalker. So it's going to be interesting to see uh, kind of what what his interaction is going to be with this new group of heroes and kind of how he is going to tie into this new story. Yeah, I, I'm, that's exciting. I'm, I'm looking forward. I've always uh, been a big fan of his, and uh, it, you know, I didn't know if he was still around. You know, since we had not seen any hint of him, so uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that all plays out within the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, and as we mentioned before, he is the uncle of Ewan McGregor, so clearly things are going well for that family. They're uh, <laughs> they're actively being brought back for all kinds of different Star Wars engagements, which is really cool. Um, there was some also some news that came out uh, over the weekend. New York Comic Con 2019 was going on. And in the Lucasfilm publishing panel, uh, it was announced that there's going to be a new Thrawn trilogy, which uh, I'm certainly looking forward to, uh, as well as you know some additional stories that are going to be coming uh, to the galaxy that we all love that's far, far away. So uh, keep an eye out. I was not at all surprised to hear that they have all kinds of story plans. There's a mysterious... Uh, Project Luminous that is supposed to be getting more information about that released kind of after the first of the year. I'll be interested to see what that's all about. But as we have already seen, there's going to be all kinds of novels, all kinds of comics coming out. Uh, and there's so much still to explore within the Star Wars uh, galaxy. I would definitely say that period between uh, the Return of the Jedi leading up to The Force Awakens is still rife for for having all kinds of stories told within that um if for no other reason than i think one of the issues that people had with the last jedi was not seeing the transition of luke from where we left him at the end of return of the jedi all the way up to when you know we see him in the last jedi uh you know what what stories took place with him that would have led to him kind of transitioning his outlook on the galaxy that way uh so there's definitely a lot of stories i think that could be told within that time frame no, I don't think there's any question about that, and I'm excited to to find many of them. I think you know we're going to start right there with the Mandalorian, uh, find out a little more information on that, what's going on in the galaxy during that time. But there, yeah, there's so much information that can come out, whether it's through comics, whether it's through novels, whether you know they decide to uh, you know start another uh, television series, whether it be animated or live action. There's just so much information out there, and you're you're just touching on all the new novels that are are slated 
slated to be coming out soon. And I just can't keep up I, I, as much as I love it. And I'm so happy that they're coming out. It's like, please slow down just a little bit. I want to keep up and all this stuff. But uh, it really is such a great time to be a Star Wars fan. Absolutely. And I know you do most of your reading on cruises. So it sounds like it would get really expensive if you wanted to try to keep up with uh, everything that's coming out. It's true. It's a good thing I have a, at least a cruise coming up here in the in uh, within 2020, so I can uh, kind of catch up a little bit. But man, I, there's there's so much coming out. It seems like every other day something else is announced, and I just uh, it's so great and just so much. Like oh, I feel like I'm missing out at the same time. Well, with a two week cruise coming up, you should be able to get get caught up with a decent amount of stuff. So um, I think we'll wrap it up for news right there. I do want to say that for next week, uh, what I'm looking at is I want to do an episode where we do the top five best uh, one liners, uh, you know, funniest one liners within the Star Wars films and. Uh, Tom, I, I don't know if Michelle's going to want to get in on that one. I suspect she may have some input for that. So uh, if it's something where, you know, she wants to put together a list as well, please have her do that. Um, and for those of uh, those of the folks that are out there listening, please, if you have uh, a list that you would like to submit, we would love to get that. You can send it to us at jtapodcast at gmail.com. Uh, or you can shoot me a DM on Twitter uh, at JTA Podcast. We're also at JTA Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. So uh, looking forward to hearing from folks out there what you think the uh, top five funniest one-liners within Star Wars are. Uh, and uh, Tom, I don't know what you think about that. Um, certainly love to hear your input as well. Yeah, I'll be happy to, to put together a list. It's going to be a tough one to, to try and weed down to five. That's for sure. <laughs> if you know uh, anything from our show, uh, we tend to go with a uh, 5A, 5B. Right, Somehow our right. list of five ends up being like a list of 10. So, Well, that's uh, where we can also be flexible in that. So I'm sure we'll work <laughs> it out one way or the other. Uh, why don't you go ahead and give the listeners uh, information on where they can find the Hyperion Adventures podcast in the Star Wars Remembered series that we've been doing. Sure. Thank you, Rob. Uh, yeah, we uh, we do talk Star Wars a lot on our show. We are the Disney podcast that really desperately wants to be a Star Wars podcast. I'm so glad Rob has invited me on the Jedi Temple Archives podcast so I can live a little portion of that dream anyway. But uh, yeah, we talk Disney, we talk Marvel, we talk Star Wars, we talk about the parks, uh, just any thing in that realm we kind of discuss on our show and you can always find us pretty much everywhere you get podcasts but the best place to find us is on our website hyperionadventurespodcast.com and you can also follow us socially on twitter at hyperion podcast facebook instagram and pinterest at hyperion adventures podcast Awesome. So thank you for, uh, thank you for once again for coming on Tom and helping me out with this episode. Uh, looking forward to seeing what everyone comes up with for their, uh, list of the top five funniest, uh, one-liners within star Wars. And we will be back to discuss that next week. So hope you guys all have a wonderful week. Please reach out if you have any questions or input or ideas for future topics. And, uh, other than that, we will see you on next week's episode. Thank you. And may the force be with you. <laughs>